everybody and welcome back to Girls Camp. It is me, your host, Haley Rawl. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a big topic, a bad topic, the bishop topic, the big bad Mormon bishop topic. And there is, as always, but maybe particularly so, a lot to say on the topic of the big bad Mormon bishop. If there is one thing that a Mormon bishop has, and I can say this after reading through literally hundreds of your stories, it is the goddamn audacity. Woof. These stories were really heavy. A lot of them were really heavy. And I found myself feeling like reading through these stories felt like I was almost being handed your hurt and your outrage and your confusion and frustration with these Mormon bishops and the things that they have done to make our lives more complicated. And I just want to say right off the bat that I really hope that I can do this topic justice, and I hope that I can hold our joint rage and our joint hurt with grace, and again, that I can just do justice to the heavy emotions that a lot of this stuff warrants. I decided for the bishop thing to split this episode into two parts, and that is because the first part, what we're talking about today, is going to be about the sex stuff. So as you can imagine, the most common theme, the most common story of these crazy bishop stories is that many of us had to have worthiness interviews with our bishops where we were asked inappropriate questions about sexual things where we had to talk about masturbation and pornography and detail sexual experiences. And that is a huge theme of crazy bishop experiences. And so I decided that that is what we were going to talk about today because there's much to say about it. And I also thought that I would keep this as a part one so that if this is not something you want to hear about, if you have trauma around this or if this feels triggering for you, you can sit this episode out, but then join next week when we'll be talking about more of the, not necessarily lighthearted, but we'll be talking about all of the non sex stuff. So next week, we're talking about kind of random bishop stories, like just very weird, socially awkward bishops. We'll talk a little bit more about ward drama bishop stuff. There's a lot more kind of miscellaneous crazy bishop stories that will be next week's episode. It's also going to be very, very good and very interesting. But today we'll be dedicated again to kind of worthiness interview stuff. So a trigger warning off the bat, we will be talking about being alone in a room with a male and having to detail sexual experiences. There are some stories that involve sexual assault, some that involve rape. I'll give a specific trigger warning before sexual assault and rape stories if you want to skip over those. Like I said, it's pretty heavy and there is some humor along the way because you all are really funny when you write in. And I think if there's one thing campers have in common. It is that we all seem to cope with humor, which I think can be a really good and healthy thing. So it's not going to be all so heavy, but again, it's a heavy topic and 
you need to prepare for this episode to tap into your feminine rage because I have been feminine raging about this topic for a long time, even when I was a 14-year-old and had my own experience with a Bishop interview, and the rage has only grown since then. So I think we will be stepping together into our feminine rage, which feels kind of fitting for me today because I am in my luteal phase, if you know, you know, aka PMSing, and I just feel kind of moody kind of cozy, but just wanting to basically sit on my couch, which is what I'm doing right now. If you're not watching the video, I'm cozy on my couch in my sweats, and I want to eat candy and drink Diet Coke and talk about how much I hate the patriarchy. So that's what we're doing today. And it feels fitting due to my mood and due to where I'm at in my cycle. So there you have it. I'm trying to think if there's any campfire chat things I wanted to talk about with you all. Nothing is coming to mind, but I do always forget to do this during the actual podcast, which is to beg and plead for your ratings and reviews. So let me do that quickly and say, please, if you are here listening, leave a rating or a review. On Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. You scroll down to the bottom of the show page, leave the amount of stars you want to and write a little review. On Spotify, it's even easier. The stars are right at the top of the show page. You just click them, click the amount of stars and move on your merry way. Probably takes five seconds and makes a huge deal for girls camp. And I know my numbers. I know there's a lot more of you listening than have left me a rating or review. So get on it. And the good karma of the universe will be sent your way in abundance. I can promise you that. And thank you, as always, for supporting the podcast. The support never ceases to amaze me, to make me feel supported and seen and loved in this endeavor of creating community and space for post-Mormons. So thanks for that. Thanks for being a part of this. I'm so, so happy, so thrilled that you are here. You are wanted, needed, loved, perfect, amazing in every single way. Okay. Let's jump into the Bishop stories. Actually, before we jump into the stories, let me quickly tell a story of my own. And I believe I told this, I told this on my Mormon stories interview, and I think I've told it on the podcast before. I can't remember exactly. So I will be very brief with this story. But my first probably one of my first kind of cracks in my shelf was when this happened to me. And I was, I looked it up so I could be accurate. And now I can't remember. I think I was 15. And I bought myself a bikini because my mom didn't want to pay for a bikini. But she said, if I use my own babysitting money, I could buy whatever I wanted. So I bought my first bikini. And it was this cute little red bikini from American Eagle, I think. And I went swimming with friends one day at Mona Lake. There's like a rope swing and a lake. We went swimming. It was great. We took a lot of photos, as often we did in high school. And one of my friends posted those photos on Facebook. Oh, I am remembering. I definitely talked about this, I think, in my modesty episode, because if you want to see the photos, they're actually on the Girls Camp podcast Instagram feed. Very, very mild photos. Anyway, posted those on Facebook. I get a call from my bishop, and he says he wants to meet with me that Sunday. I did not connect the dots at this point, but I go in to meet with him on Sunday. As I'm sitting down, he says, first of all, that dress you're wearing currently is too short. So I awkwardly like sit down as he's telling me that the dress on my body is too short. 
And then he proceeds to say, my wife showed me these photos of you on Facebook wearing a bikini, or she had told him, at least, I don't know if she showed him, but she had told him that those photos were on Facebook. And he proceeded to essentially say, you can't be in a good spiritual place if you're wearing a two-piece swimsuit. I'm really worried for you. This lets me know that you're not doing well spiritually, blah, blah, blah. I sat in the chair and sobbed and sobbed and walked home. I'll never forget walking home from the church building, sobbing, and went and told my mom, and she wasn't happy about it. But that was kind of my first really big moment that I remember of feeling a sense of injustice and a sense of, why is this the focus of my bishop? Why am I being asked to account to my bishop for what I'm wearing I don't even know how much my 15-year-old brain was able to comprehend everything I was feeling, but I remember feeling like, this doesn't feel right, and I don't like it. And that was kind of a big deal in my Mormon, post-Mormon story, was with a Mormon bishop. And after reading through the stories for today, I think a lot of us have very similar stories where we feel like we were put in deeply uncomfortable, deeply inappropriate situations where we were being asked things or told things about what we chose to wear or our sex lives, if you can even call it that, because oftentimes it wasn't even sex that they were actually asking about. But these things are a big deal. I think they shaped our little teenage girl brains and shaped our feelings around ourself and our identity and it definitely did that for me. I have one other bishop story. Well, I actually have a couple other <laughs> bishop stories. I have a lot of run-ins with LDS bishops. So maybe that was some foreshadowing in my life as to where I would end up. But I will tell one of them, because it's kind of similar to a write-in, so I'll tell one of them later in course, and then I have another one I'll save for next week. But don't you worry. Haley always has a bishop story or two up her sleeve. You have not heard all the bishop stories yet. Okay, let's jump into the write-ins. The first one is a bit of a doozy. I was preparing to go on a mission and me and my boyfriend at the time went to second base. So he literally just touched my boob. I went to my bishop racked with guilt and he said my mission might be delayed because of it and I needed to talk to my stake president. So I went to talk with him and he asked me if I orgasmed or not with a notebook in hand. I literally didn't even know what an orgasm was, so I asked him what that meant. I was 18, and I can't believe I didn't know what that was. He then goes on to tell me what an orgasm is, which was traumatic in itself. Then he told me I needed to break up with my boyfriend or else I couldn't go on my mission. I did, and it devastated me. And when I told him why, eventually, we both were flooded with guilt. I can't imagine how his self-worth was affected in that moment. So sad. Then I decided to get back together with him and lie to my stake president, which just created so much more guilt. It was a miserable four months before I left, plus the pressure of delaying my mission and what everyone would think of me. Surprisingly enough, I told my bishop what the stake president had said to me, and he was shocked. He told me not to go talk to him anymore, which calmed me down a little bit. But damn, so many panic attacks for my boyfriend touching my freaking boobs. I'm 28 now, and I still think back to that time and feel so much depression and guilt. It's so crazy. <sighs> the mission time and with so many women going on missions, I think added a lot of fuel to this fire too, because there are lots of stories about a very significant double standard between how women were treated by bishops versus men when they went and confessed sexual sin 
which is absolutely insane, obviously. And I think it just created this higher pressure situation. I mean, this happened to before anyway with you know, young people in the phase before they get married, where there's just a lot of young Mormons who are very healthy and normal and are having some sort of sexual experiences with members of the same sex or the opposite sex and just getting so, 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 so much shame for it. And the thing is with the shame around it, yes, shame is one thing. You already feel so much guilt and shame for any sort of sexual transgression or for what you are taught is sexual transgression. But then on top of it, the shame of having to go repeat back details to a middle-aged man, often middle-aged, who is often a stranger in some capacity, or maybe even worse, is like your friend's dad or the neighbor man. Having to repeat those things is so shame-ridden and is so embarrassing and honestly humiliating and belittling and demeaning to be put in that situation. And not only does it make you feel all of those things, but then, of course, all of those thoughts and feelings and that shame and humiliation then gets attached to sex itself or to you as a sexual being. And it's just so bad in so many ways. It's so bad. I'm glad in the story that the bishop saw some sense and was able to say that what the stake president said and did was out of line, but it doesn't take away the experience and it doesn't take away having to sit there and feel that shame. And I'm so sorry. Okay, next one. Speaking of that double standard between men and women. Long story short, I told my bishop that me and my boyfriend had sex. After months of meeting with him to repent that were extremely uncomfortable, I told him I was thinking about going on a mission, and he said that I wasn't worthy and I wouldn't be a good missionary because of what I had done. Crazy. My boyfriend could still go on a mission even though he did the same thing. The double standard rears its ugly head when this woman wanted to go on a mission. Her having sex made her unworthy, but for some reason didn't apply to her boyfriend in the situation. Make that make sense. That is Mormon bishop math right there. I don't know if you know this trend on TikTok, but people talk about girl math and boy math. And basically, it's just like when the math isn't adding up, but we kind of like make it out up in our heads. Anyway, this is a great example of Mormon bishop math. When two people can do the same thing because they're doing it with each other, and for one person, it would make them an unworthy not fit missionary, but for the other person who happens to be a man, it doesn't seem to apply. Okay, next one. I was asked specifically in my missionary interview if I masturbate, and if so, how I do it. None of my other friends got asked that question from our same YSA bishop. It was mortifying, and then the look of doubt in his eyes when I said no was so humiliating. Oof. This one is so icky to me because... This person got singled out for whatever reason to be asked this question when other people weren't being asked, which is so icky because you can imagine why that question might have been asked to someone and not the other person. And also the doubt in the eye. 
there's this thing that happens. And if you were ever Mormon or if you ever had any sort of confession, I know other religions do a similar sort of confession thing like in Catholicism. There's this feeling that I used to joke about when I was Mormon too, where the second you walk into a bishop's office and you sit down in that chair and you are looking them in the eye, you feel like you did something wrong, even if you didn't, even if you are clean as a whistle, if your conscience is clear, if you have not done a single thing, the second you are in that chair and the bishop looks at you and says, like, did you do this? You feel like you're lying when you say no. It's the craziest thing. It just feels like an interrogation and it feels like the vibes are so, yeah, it's almost like they're trying to catch you in something, or at least I felt that way oftentimes. And I even remember when I was doing like the standard temple interview questions, like there's a series of questions you have to answer to get your temple recommend. And the questions are, you know, do you believe Joseph Smith was a prophet? I think there's one of, do you believe in God? Like pretty run of the mill questions for a Mormon. I remember saying yes, of course, like, do you believe in God? And I would be like, yes. And it sounded so phony. (laughs) I remember being like, no, like I really do. But there was just something always about those interviews that just felt so disingenuine, especially when you're talking about those concepts of belief in God or understanding of someone as a prophet that seems so much bigger than a simple yes or no question. And then they're condensed down into these yes or no questions. And I just remember always feeling like that was such a weird thing to have to answer even those temple recommend questions, because I always felt like I was lying, even though I wasn't at the time. But maybe something deep down inside of me knew. Who knows? Okay, next one. I was in a temple interview, and we got to the question about the law of chastity. Before asking if I struggled with sexual sin, he prefaced with, this is not something you would deal with just because it's a boy issue, but do you struggle with the law of chastity, including viewing porn or masturbation? Again, this isn't something you would deal with, but I have to ask anyway. I felt so furious, embarrassed, and alone because I wanted to confess that I had been struggling with porn and masturbation. I wanted to feel clean and forgiven, but I felt like that wasn't possible for me because it was a boy's issue, not a girl's issue. It took me years before I realized it was normal and there was nothing wrong with me, and I didn't need to confess it to a grown adult man either. Ugh. The porn masturbation thing for women sounds so tricky because of the rhetoric, as demonstrated by this bishop, of just believing that women don't, quote, struggle with those things, which now I definitely don't see that as a struggle, but thinking that it's also not perfectly healthy and developmentally normal to masturbate, for example, just an added layer of shame that I don't think men have when it comes to sexual sin is that I always felt like for men, like my peers as I was growing up, it almost felt like it was more expected for men, not even just to look at porn or to masturbate, but it felt like it was more expected for men to just struggle with that sin in any way, even if it was you know, having sex or whatever it may be. And so as a woman, not only do you feel the shame that anyone in the church feels because you're told that those sins are next to murder, quite literally. I should look up that scripture for any of you uh, unfamiliar or never Mormons. I'll look that up in a second to read that for some context of this sexual sin thing. But 
I just wanted to say there's this really strong added layer of shame as a female because you feel like not only am I doing something wrong that I've been told is terrible, but I also shouldn't even have these urges and having these urges makes me a really bad person. It makes me extra a bad person because you don't understand that it's healthy and normal and that other women around you are feeling the same thing. I also feel like it's not something that at least amongst my friend group, we talked about it a little bit, but I don't feel like it's as common to talk about amongst women or, you know, teenage girls. It's way less normalized for girls. And therefore, there are so many added layers of shame on top of the already very deep, very present shame. So speaking of that shame, let me look up that sex is next to murder scripture. So now I'm finding all sorts of things on the internet. And let me read this fun quote from David O. McKay, former LDS prophet, as quoted in the infamous book, Miracle of Forgiveness, which warrants a deep dive. Absolutely. I've never read this book, but I've heard that it is absolutely terrible and traumatizing. And a lot of you have learned things out of this book or read this book and been haunted by it ever since. But here's a quote in Miracle of Forgiveness from David O. McKay. Your virtue is worth more than your life. Please, young folk, preserve your virtue even if you lose your lives. So that's really scary, basically telling people that it would be better to die than to lose their virtue and is particularly disgusting and scary when it comes to sexual assault and rape when you actually might have to put your life on the line. Ugh, so bad, so terrible. I have never heard that quote before, but that's a really, really bad one. Here's the scripture I was talking about. This is in Alma chapter 39 in the Book of Mormon. Um, Thou didst do that which was grievous unto me, for thou didst forsake the ministry and did go over into the land of Siren among the borders of Lamanites after the harlot Isabel. And then it says, Know ye not, my son, that these things are an abomination in the sight of the Lord, yea, most abominable above all sins, save it be the shedding of innocent blood or denying the Holy Ghost. So that has been interpreted to mean that there's nothing worse than going after the harlot Isabel, essentially implying that he had sex outside of marriage and that there's nothing worse to God than actually killing someone. So that is kind of the context that we are working within when we're talking about these bishop interviews is that literally doing anything of any sexual nature was how my teenage brain interpreted this. Even my young adult brain before I got married was truly next to murder. That's how bad I thought it was. And that is the level of fear and shame that I held in my heart when I was going to tell a bishop these things. And I think I've had the question asked to me before. I don't remember if John asked me this in my Mormon stories interview, but I had the question asked to me, would you ever just like not tell the bishop or just lie? And I truly cannot imagine being able to do that not because I'm so honest and amazing, but because the grievousness, the grievousness of the sin, the weight and the heaviness of the sin whenever I messed up sexually was so intense that I felt like I needed to do that. That was the only way that I was going to feel better. That was the only way that I could get rid of some of that guilt and shame was by going to tell my bishop, which is why anytime I did anything, 
I would go confess. And I had this cycle all throughout high school and even into young adulthood before my mission where I would mess up again with a boyfriend like I don't know, he'd touch my boob or my butt or we would like make out too long and we would dry hump and I would then have to go to the bishop, confess it, sob, cry, feel awful and terrible, feel all the awkwardness and discomfort. And then I would just go and do it again. And that just happened again and again and again and was just this horrible, terrible cycle of guilt and shame that served me not at all and just gave me a lot of sex hangups and a lot of deep shame around myself as a sexual being. So yeah, this shit cuts really deep for many of us who had to go through that same cycle or even had to do it even one single time, have a bishop interview where you had to talk about those things. Okay, back to the stories. As a freshman at BYU, I was confessing to my bishop that I had been masturbating. He was genuinely confused because he thought that girls couldn't masturbate. He literally thought it was impossible because girls don't have penises, so they can't feel pleasure in that way. His poor wife. Having to essentially teach your bishop as a college-aged girl that women can masturbate, and indeed they do. As if it were not bad enough to have to confess that sin, having to be the bearer of that news to a grown adult man. That is so insane. And his poor wife is right. I think this one shows how incredibly underqualified and undertrained these bishops are to be handling these issues, to be talking to men or women, to girls or boys about sexual things, things of any sexual nature. They are so underqualified. It's insane. And these are obviously very delicate matters that just should not be being discussed or being taught by people who have no qualifications besides being called of God, which is why it gets justified, right? Because bishops are really viewed as God's mouthpiece for the members of the ward because they're called by revelation, whatever. But this is just such a good example of how poorly equipped these men are to handle these types of conversations. And it got me thinking, I feel like there's kind of a spectrum of bishops when it comes to sexual sin stuff. And I feel like on one side of the spectrum, you have like sicko perverts who are asking these gratuitous sex questions to young girls or young boys because they get off on it and it's incredibly disgusting and gross. And they even can use it for grooming. They take advantage of the power that they're in to just be gross and terrible and awful. Then you also have bishops who are probably good people trying to do their job as a bishop. They probably feel uncomfortable talking about these subjects. They probably don't want to, but it's a huge part of the job description. And so they find themselves in these situations where they feel awkward too, and they don't want to be doing it either, but they do because that's what they've been told and they should just not do it. So I'm not justifying that behavior, but I am saying like there's this interesting spectrum where there's bishops who take advantage in terrible ways, but I also think a large majority of bishops are just in this position. They are not brave enough or aware enough to say, I shouldn't be asking these types of questions. It's completely inappropriate. So instead, they just do what they're told to do, and everyone's uncomfortable, and there's just 
awkward, uncomfortable feelings for everybody involved. Not to justify that anybody is doing this because I think any grown adult man should be able to say this isn't appropriate. But there are people all along that spectrum of being bishops that are you know, approaching this from different standpoints. But I think the one thing in common is that very, very, very few bishops have any sort of qualifications that should allow them to be having these types of conversations. Okay, when I was 15, my boyfriend at the time told his bishop about the physical encounters we were having. His bishop called my bishop to talk about the details of what my boyfriend had said. I was called out in the middle of my young women's class to go to my bishop's office. When I got there, he said, you know exactly why you are here. You need to confess. I was pressured to talk about the private and personal details of my sexual relationship with my boyfriend at the time to an almost 75-year-old man because he had already gotten stories from my boyfriend's bishop. When I was being too vague, he would continually ask me more specific questions even though he already knew the answers. It was so weird to me how the bishops in my stake were communicating about the sex lives of teenagers. So crazy and still grossed me out to this day. So crazy, so gross. Another obvious ethical problem with all of this is that there's no true confidentiality with what is shared to bishops. And I know this from firsthand experience because I always found out about certain things in certain wards based on if my family was family friends with the bishop. And this is just such a common thing where people go and confess to the bishop and then the bishop tells someone and people find out. There's not any like HIPAA policies like there are when you're sharing your information, like private information elsewhere. And so I think there's a huge issue with sharing private information that you don't know where it's going to end up, that the bishop is oftentimes going to tell his wife and maybe his wife's going to tell her friend, et cetera, et cetera. So inappropriate and such an unsafe environment to be sharing private information that you probably don't want to share anyway. And just fuels the fire of a Mormon gossip mill, which is any Mormon ward, where people are always gossiping. There are people paying attention to who goes into the bishop, to who's taking the sacrament or not. And it just creates rumors and gossip and the sharing of private information amongst your community that you probably don't want out there. So I think this speaks to that, too, in what's a really scary way to go say something to a bishop and then not know who's going to find out about it. Gross. Okay, next story. My boyfriend and I lived in the same college apartment complex, but on opposite sides, so we were in different wards. We both scheduled meetings with our bishops to do a confession session about some things we had done. Mine was first, and my bishop asked all of the detailed questions. He told me that what we had done, literally just a blowjob for the record, required me to do a membership council. It would be me, the bishop, one of his counselors, and maybe someone from the Relief Society. Keep in mind, this is a college student ward, so these people are my age, literally my peers. We would discuss what I had done, say a prayer together, and then I would step out of the room. They would then discuss the situation without me and decide what was best to do to move forward. I would come back in the room and we would all talk about it and pray again. Obviously, I felt uncomfortable about doing that, but in my mind, if that was what he thought I needed to do, I would do it. I went back to my apartment and my boyfriend had come back from his interview. I asked how it went and he said, good. He asked if I felt bad about it and told me not to do it again and we would be good. I was shocked. The fact that we talked with our bishops about the same situation and had such different experiences was wild. I ended up meeting with my bishop again and asked why I seemed to have a harder punishment than my boyfriend. He said it must have been a mistake on my boyfriend's bishop's part and insisted me 
on still doing the council. Needless to say, I ended up moving out of that ward before ever meeting with him again or doing that council. (sighs) The double standard for men and women, yet again. Also, an example of what many have dubbed the bishop roulette, which is such a real thing. The bishop roulette concept is that so many things in your Mormon experience really depend on the luck of the draw with the kind of bishop that you get. This is especially true of people who are looking to go on missions or who are trying to get married and have some sort of sexual, quote, sin. Because, for example, I had a friend who was trying to go on a mission and he went into his bishop and I can't even remember what he did, but it was not crazy. And the bishop told him, you cannot go on your mission for a year. So this is a young man who is planning his whole life around going on a mission at a certain time, planning his college stuff around when he's going to go. All of these things are kind of hinging on this timing of when he's going to go spend two years of his life giving free volunteer service for the church. And the bishop says to him, you cannot go for an entire year because you need to repent and the repentance process is going to take a year. And then I had so many other guy friends who I know were doing certain things very close to leading up to their mission and their bishops were like, it's fine, you're forgiven, just get out there, like just go on the mission. And it's so deeply unfair and unjust and it just goes to show how much of the Mormon experience, I think, is, like I said, it's luck of the draw, right? Like, you might get a super cool bishop who's like, I don't want to hear about it, and you're fine. But you might get a bishop who's crazy or who's predatory, but you also might just get a bishop who's really harsh and really strict and wants to do this insane counsel with people your age having to hear about your blowjob with your boyfriend and them helping make a decision on if you're worthy or not, which is utter insanity. Whereas the other bishop is like, nah, you're good. It's fine. Just don't do it again. And I think that there's a lot of people I've talked to that started to sense that bishop roulette thing and how how just like not, you know, if there's like one truth, one gospel, how can it be interpreted in such drastically different ways and in ways that actually really deeply impact people's lives? It just starts to feel like something is off or not right. And I just think there should at least be, I mean, I think there are regulations for bishops, like certain sins should have like a certain amount of time. You can't take the sacrament or whatever, but it just doesn't really pan out that way. And so you might just get a really shitty, harsh bishop and have to go through something so intense where if you were just living elsewhere in another ward in different boundaries, you wouldn't have to go through that. Oh, here's another quick double standard one. My boyfriend and I went a bit further than we were supposed to. We both went to see our bishop. This bishop made me not take the sacrament, but my boyfriend was allowed to take it. Same bishop, same event. How does that make sense? Mormon bishop math. For some reason, the woman must suffer more and must bear more responsibility for any sexual sin between a man and a woman. There is Mormon bishop math glaringly on display. Okay, I have a few stories now that I'm going to share. Um, This one is about sexual assault, so trigger warning for that. And also just wanted to say right off the bat, if anyone has had to confess sexual assault to a bishop and has been treated with anything less than 
love and support and help to get into therapy, that is so fucked up in so many ways, so awful and so wrong, and I'm so sorry. And we're going to be talking about some of that right now, so heads up. Okay, I went to my bishop to chat about a sexual assault I'd experienced. He told me that I'd need to have a disciplinary hearing because the assault involved a married person. In the same convo, we started talking about what gym we went to, and he mentioned that he only went late at night because that's when the, quote, scantily clad young girls didn't go, and he, quote, struggled to control his thoughts around them. I felt deeply uncomfortable, especially considering the context of the conversation. He then, without asking me, went and told each member of the bishopric my story so that I wouldn't even have to share my story during the disciplinary council. Shortly thereafter, I was abruptly told that the council was no longer necessary, and I would also be receiving my temple recommend because they wanted me to go to the temple with my family. It suddenly became public knowledge that my dad, who is well known in our local church community, was battling a terminal illness. So now a bunch of people know some version of an incredibly personal story that I didn't tell them. I always worry about what I wear around my bishop, and I realize that repentance can happen really fast when your parents are important in your church community. Whoa, lots to unpack there. First and foremost, being told you need to go to a disciplinary council because you were sexually assaulted by a married man. I cannot, I don't, I'm speechless. I don't have the words for how horrible that is and what a counterproductive reaction to something that I can only imagine already causes so many hurtful, deep, complicated feelings. And then to be told you need to be disciplined for it excuse me, then to have that story told to other people. And then in the context of a conversation where you say, I was sexually assaulted by a married man, your bishop thinks it would be a good time to tell you about all of the feelings he struggles with around women who are wearing gym clothes at the gym, who are young. Really, really terrible. I'm so sorry. And again, at the end, an example of the bishop roulette where You got off the hook, as you should, by the way, thank God, but because they realized, oh, your dad's an important member of the community, so let's not do the disciplinary council. (sighs) This is where the feminine rage boileth over. My feminine rage doth boil over when it comes to this specifically. Okay, I have a couple more stories about sexual assault, so trigger warning for sexual assault on this one and for victim blaming. Lots of victim blaming, really bad victim blaming. And again, with these, I just cannot reiterate enough. Thank you for trusting me with these stories. And I just want to do justice to how absolutely terrible this is. And if you experience this, I'm thinking of you. When I was 17, I was sexually assaulted. A few months after it happened, I told my parents and they asked me to go see my bishop. When telling him, he asked if I had been drinking or if I had been wearing immodest clothing. No, I had not. Would that excuse the assault? He did not believe me. He kept pressing me and made me believe it was my fault. He sent me home with scriptures on repentance, and I couldn't take the sacrament for a couple weeks. It took me years to work through that shit. Not just the assault, but what that bishop made me believe in that room. (sighs) Yeah, no words for this. No commentary does justice for what that probably feels like. I haven't experienced this, but the confusion I can imagine I would probably feel as a young person with already the societal conversation around sexual assault and how 
women are victim blamed and then having that reiterated in such a huge way from a person of utmost authority that you believe is speaking from God is really wrong. And I'm so sorry. Okay, this will be the last one on sexual assault. And this one is about rape. So trigger warning for rape. My first year of college, a couple weeks in, I was raped. Shortly after the announcement that girls could serve missions at 19 was announced, I decided I wanted to go, so I went and met with my college bishop. I had never gone to church while at college, so he didn't really know me. When asking me questions, it came out that I had been raped, and he immediately told me I couldn't go for one year because I had had sex. I reiterated several times it wasn't consensual, and he insisted that because I had willingly gone to the man's house where he raped me, I had participated. Wild. Oh, okay. So if we go to a man's home and are raped within that home, then it's our fault for entering the man's home. This is so bad. It is the worst of the worst. It is the epitome of everything awful and wrong about Mormonism, about the patriarchy, about the underqualified bishop thing, about the lack of compassion. There is so many things wrong with this. There, I can't even begin to describe. And again, I just want to say I'm so sorry. Also, the immense irony in a young woman, again, wanting to serve the church, give freely, literally, actually pay to give her time and service to the church and then be told, no, you can't do that because you were raped. You're not allowed to go. And you actually have to repent for a year because somehow you're to blame is just so shitty on so many levels. And I am deeply, 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 deeply sorry. Okay, we have a few more stories and these ones are around modesty, which is an adjacent topic to the sexual sin stuff. Oh, I thought of one other thing. This was the other story I was going to tell. This is so crazy that this happens, but it is a routine thing because I've talked to a lot of people about this. So I mentioned that growing up in high school, if ever I, quote, committed a sexual sin, I would have to go talk to my bishop to repent, right? And the whole thing about the atonement of Jesus Christ the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it is taught in Mormonism, is that once you repent, though your sins be as scarlet, they be white as snow, right? It doesn't matter anymore. It is as if you had never done it. That was what I learned about the atonement. That's why Jesus died, is so that we could be free of our sins. And so that repentance meant literally it was as if we had never done it. So I go throughout all high school doing stuff with my boyfriends, telling my bishop, the whole thing. And then I decided I want to go on a mission. So I went to my, I was in a BYU ward at the time, and I went to the bishop of the BYU ward. And I remember he was a really dorky, kind of awkward man, older man. He seemed maybe early 70s, late 60s. I did not realize this, but as part of the interviews to prepare to go on a mission, they ask you in that interview, which I was not prepared for, and which is so hypocritical and counterproductive, but I sat down to have this mission interview to put my mission papers in. And he asked me if there were any sexual sins 
even things I had repented of. Basically, you have to say everything sexually that you've ever done your entire life. So even though you've gone through the entire repentance process, you have to repeat back anything you've ever done. So I'm sitting with this awkward 70-year-old man and unbeknownst to me, get put on the spot to have to say, well, yeah, like in high school, I did this and that. And in high school, I did this and that. And then later I did this and that. Like repeating all of those things that I had already repented of. So make that make sense also because why would you have to repent twice if did the first repentance not work? And I think it's this thing where like to go on a mission, they want to know like, have you ever had sex or something? Because somehow that's relevant. If you want to go be a missionary, I don't even know. But that is standard procedure as far as I understand it, that even after repenting of any sexual sin, you have to repeat again anything you have ever done sexually in order to fill out your mission papers. As if once were not enough. Okay, some modesty stories. I was the activity coordinator, and the bishop told me we could host a Relief Society yoga night if I promised to stand by the door and turn away anyone who showed up in leggings or yoga pants because they were immodest and inappropriate. Good God. Women cannot do yoga in yoga pants. What? You got to wear your sweats or like some basketball shorts to go with the other women in the Relief Society to do yoga. Also, putting a stipulation on an activity that grown-ass women can do based on if they're wearing leggings or not. Once in my college student ward, the bishop came to Relief Society to teach a lesson about modesty. He always seemed so nervous and uncomfortable when he was speaking or even just having a conversation. You can imagine how much that was amplified while he was speaking to a group of college girls about modesty. At one point, he was trying to describe how our clothing impacted the thoughts of the men in the ward and was struggling to find the right words. Finally, he slapped his hand against the chalkboard and said, when you wear tight clothes to the men, it's like a naked body pressed against this wall. I wanted to die of secondhand embarrassment for this bishop. Wearing tight clothes is like a naked body pressed against this very wall. Oh, good try on that one. I see what you were going for. I see the attempt at dramatic effect, but A, that doesn't really make sense. And B is a terrible thing to be telling women about the choices of clothing that they decide to make for themselves. Also, such a crazy situation when bishops are speaking about these things because it's like, oh, is that how you feel, Mr. Bishop, when I wear tight clothes or the women in the world around you wear tight clothes? Because maybe that's a you thing. And maybe that's not about the women choosing to wear the clothing that they want to wear. You've kind of revealed yourself a little bit there, Mr. Bishop. I was called in for a bishop's interview during church hours. He closed the door behind me and told me to sit, then proceeded to tell me my dress was immodest and asked if I wanted his suit coat to wear. I said no. He took it off and he draped it over me anyway. I felt so uncomfortable the whole time. There's nothing worse I can say from personal experience than having the clothing you are currently wearing be called immodest by someone who obviously looked at you, looked at what you were wearing, and then thought, hmm, that's immodest, and then had to tell you while it's on your body, and then being offered his suit as if that is not the most humiliating thing in the entire world, sitting there in his suit to cover up your own body. 
Also, you were at church. Like, come on. As if it could have even been that, quote, immodest. Okay, this is the last story. When I went in for my sealing cancellation for my first marriage, one of the questions my bishop had to ask was if my ex-husband and I had sex after we decided to call it quits, but before the divorce was finalized. What a weird question. The answer was yes. Another question was if I had had any sexual partners since that divorce, whether repented of or not. Like, WTF is the point of repentance if it gets held against you. Exactly. The answer to that was also yes. Fast forward a year and that bishop became my father-in-law. He now knows more about me than I'd like because he happened to be my YSA bishop. I believe we have some stories about this next week because often the case is that your bishop is maybe literally your father, could be your uncle. My bishop was my uncle, but when I was a kid. So when I went to get baptized like when I did my baptismal interview at eight it was with my uncle so your bishop can be your uncle can be the next door neighbor can be a close family friend which was what my bishop in high school was the bikini bishop and so not only again are you having to confess these private things that you shouldn't have to talk about anyway but you are doing it to like a member of the community that you then have to interact with. You have to interact with your bishop anyway, but oftentimes you then have to interact with them outside of that. And in this case, her freaking father-in-law was the one who had to sit her down and ask all those inappropriate questions about who she had sex with that weren't even relevant. And then it ends up being your father-in-law. So yikes to that. And a little teaser for next week, which is we're going to be talking about the drama that can ensue when bishops are tied up in these kind of drama dynamics and when bishops start doing things themselves or knowing things about people in the ward and it just becomes a whole big mess. Okay, that might be all the rage one woman's body can handle for today. One PMS woman's body can handle for today. But... I feel like I repeat myself a lot, and I'm doing that because I just want it to be so clear, like I said, that these topics really do matter to me, and while, yes, we're talking about how crazy it is, and I do clickbaity titles for the episodes, I really think this is serious shit, and that it's a big deal, and it's not something that people should ever have to go through. And it really sucks that so many of us had to experience that and that it's been so normalized. It still blows my mind that this is still going on to this day. Bishops are allowed and are told to, it's standard procedure, to sit down with young men, with young women in private and ask them questions about porn and masturbation and sex. I just think it's so wrong. It's also one of the things... One of the many things that when I decided to leave the church for good, which as I've mentioned was in large part due to having children, I just thought I would never ever allow them to do that. I would never subject them to that kind of humiliation and that kind of pain. And that is absolutely not the way I want them to look at themselves as sexual beings or to look at sex in general. And yeah, much even bigger than that is just I would never let them be subject to that kind of inappropriate encounter. And it's really sad how normalized this has been. I also wanted to make a note when I talked about my bishop's story on Mormon stories, a lot of the questions were about, well, where was your mom? Where were your parents when this was happening? Like, how are the parents letting this happen? And this feels like kind of a tricky thing to talk about because 
my dad, hi dad, if you're listening, listens to the podcast. I don't think my mom will listen to this episode, but it's a tricky thing because I want to say in one breath, it was so normal. It is so normal. I just don't think there was even a lot of talk at that point about how this wasn't appropriate. And I say that just to say, like, I don't think my parents really even thought to think about it necessarily, if that makes sense. And I understand why. And I think all the parents in the same era were doing the same thing. But I also want to say, I don't think it's excusable. I think it's really unfortunate that parents were letting this stuff happen and letting this stuff slide. And for me personally, I don't hold resentment against my parents for, you know, not stepping in and saying like, you shouldn't be having to do that because of what I said. Like, I understand why they thought it was normal and it's just like par for course for being a Mormon teen. That's just like what all the Mormon teens around me were having to do and none of their parents stepped in. I just think it speaks to how much power the church has to make these things feel like, oh, well, it's about repentance, right? Like you have to repent to your bishop. They hold the keys to have you truly repent. And we buy into that without realizing like the glaringly obvious thing, which is that it's just not appropriate. And in no other context or setting would that ever be allowed, but somehow it gets justified in this religious context. I think it shouldn't be happening. And I'm sad that it ever happened. I hope that the church can get its shit together around stuff like this. I heard talks on the wind of maybe people talking about having another person in the room, like bringing a woman in the room if a woman is confessing sexual sin or like a teenage girl, especially. So it's not just the bishop and the person confessing the sin like that would be helpful still not ideal in my opinion but i hope that good changes will be made around this because it's just so bad thanks for joining me thank you for sharing your stories as i said next week will be a little bit more about the quirky crazy side of bishop stuff and will be a little bit less intense but i appreciate you joining me for the intensity because it's important too these things need to be spoken about we need to have platforms where these stories can be told and shared. I think it's hugely important for people who have gone through this stuff to feel like it's being spoken about and isn't just a taboo that's shoved under the rug. So thanks for listening, and I can't wait to talk to you next week for Crazy Bishop Stories Part 2. It's going to be a fun one. Um, it involves green smoothies. It involves musical number drama and much, much more. There's, oh, Pokemon Go. There's a Pokemon Go story. So get ready for that. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to review, rate, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. Follow me on every single platform. So glad you're here. Bye. Cheese.